Good morning. Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church. We're glad you're here. I'm glad you came out on such a dreary day to have warm fellowship with your believers and brothers and sisters in Christ. We do welcome you in the name of the Lord. Uh, if you are a visitor, especially, we welcome you. But we ask everybody to sign the friendship roll and pass it down, and that way we'd have a record of your presence. And you can see with whom you're worshiping. And also, if you see somebody you don't know, please introduce yourself to them afterwards. Also, um, a couple of things. Small groups meet tonight at 5.30 to 7.30. Hopefully, your elder has contacted you. If not, call them, text them, find out where you're meeting. If you don't have a group and want to be in a group, just ask one of the elders where they're meeting and go meet with them. Uh, also, the, today is Scout Day. You see the scouts uh, uh, mingled throughout the congregation, and uh, uh, we, we just want to honor them today, recognize them for their participation as scouts and those parents who also serve in that capacity, trying to be good examples and I'll lead them in a Christ-like way, but the scouts will gather up front afterwards for a picture, so make that announcement. Presbytery will meet February the 6th, that's Tuesday, we meet in Memphis at River Oaks. Uh, not a lot of uh, controversial stuff coming up, but those of you who aren't Presbyterian and wonder what a Presbytery meeting is, it is a group of churches in a geographical area meet together to do common ministry and to do oversight over the ministry given to them and our presbytery is one of the largest in the denomination we extend from highway 82 all of north mississippi into that part of tennessee that would be west tennessee and in the eastern part of arkansas we have about 80 churches i think so uh, we'll gather tuesday for fellowship and also business so pray for our denomination with no more announcements, let's prepare our hearts to worship God together.
Lord calls us to worship from Psalm 96. Let's read responsively. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come unto His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Lord our God, we come into your presence this morning and we ask that you would give ear to your people. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth, stir us up, come to save us. Let us see again how glorious you are, how merciful, how kind, how gracious you have been to sinners like us. You have done wonderful, marvelous things, which you continue to work even now. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine, your church, and give us life so that we may call upon your name. All of this, O Lord, is for your glory and for your majesty, and so we pray that you would be blessed forever, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This we ask for the sake of Christ, our Lord, and now we pray together as he himself has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We profess our faith this morning using the Apostles' Creed, which is printed for you. You know, as we read together what we believe here, remember that you are not alone. Uh, Throughout the week, we face many temptations, many trials, many things that the world will speak to us, but we gather here to feel feel the warmth of our fellowship in Christ. And a part of why we read this together is so that we will be reminded of that unity we have, not just with our Savior, but also with each other. Christians, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's praise our God together by singing number 345, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken.
Amen. Please be seated. Keep your hymnals in hand open to the back, page 788, and we're going to be reading Psalm 16 as our responsive reading. This psalm teaches us that all of the goodness that we possess comes not from ourselves. Um, All of our knowledge of God, all of our experience of His salvation in Christ is because of His grace and mercy alone. Let's read together. I'll read the plain text. You join me on the bold as we read God's Word together. Keep me safe, O God, for in You I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from You I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, You have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord our God, you are to be praised and adored by all your creatures. You are the one who watches over all things. You're the giver of all that is good. You're the one who sustains everything that you have made. You're the one who carries us, your people, through every circumstance and trial that we may face. Every good thing that we have has come from you, not from ourselves, but from your merciful, gracious hand, you who provided all of our needs. Lord, in the face of your goodness and your grace, we confess to you that on our own we are sinners unworthy of your kindness. We have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we should have done. And we have done those things which we ought never to have done. On our own, there is no health in us. Lord, please have mercy on us miserable offenders. Spare us, O God, even as we confess our faults. Restore us as we are penitent according to your promises that have been declared to mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. Holy Father, for His sake, 
grant that we may from here on out live a godly, righteous, and sober life. Father, please come by the ministry of your Spirit and work in our hearts that we may more and more lean upon you for all things. Unless you build the house, we labor in vain. Unless you watch over the city, we stay awake in vain. Give us strength for godliness. Give us strength to pursue goodness and peace. Be with us, Lord, that we may depend upon you, that we may know you are with us. Many among us are suffering and in trouble. Would you teach them to rest in your constant watching? When sickness comes and and death looms, when, when financial troubles arrive, when difficulties in our families seem to, to be there day in, day out, week in, week out. Help us, Lord, to rest in the wonderful truth that you are with us and that you are working all things to your intended end and that you have given us your word to direct us in all these things to which you've called us. Lord, we have many children in our midst who, by your blessing and kindness, fall into your covenant and are under your guiding hand, and we ask that you would draw them unto Christ very quickly, that there would be very few days of their time in our midst that they do not know Christ and they do not know their great salvation in him. Bless them, bless their parents, bless the ministry of the word that in them it might produce faith and good works. Lord, be with them and draw them to yourself. We know people outside of our congregation, across the world, that seek to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you give them grace and peace that they may rely on you in every circumstance, that they may have a good word to speak to those who would ask, and that they would have a good hearing among those who are lost. Lord, establish your church in every corner of this world that Jesus Christ may be named as King and Head of all, that his dominion may have expanse, and that his kingdom would never know any decrease, but fulfill that promise of your word, Lord, of Christ's kingdom, there will be constant increase and growth. Please, Lord, come and bless your people, that we may bless you in in all places of this globe. We thank you so much for your word. Lord, would you come and draw us more and more into Christ by it? Mold us to be people who rejoice regardless of our circumstance. Help us to judge sin to be the greatest evil and the favor of God to be the greatest good. Help us to be more taken up with the inward exercises of broken hearts than with the formality of the things before us. Bless your servant as he comes to preach and work all of these things in our hearts and his by the ministry of your spirit. Help us to see past ourselves and past the man who stands and would you work in spite of all of our weakness and to glorify yourself in this place to draw sinners unto you, to convert hearts from death to life, and to, to, to gird up your people and the truths of your scriptures. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time and the, the wonderful ministry that you do to us. Be pleased, O oh Lord, to glorify yourself for the sake of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand again and sing uh, number 469, How Sweet and Awesome is the Place.
that has to be one of the most uh, memorable, humbling hymns that we'll ever sing. One of the elders, uh, won't name him, said he can hardly sing that second verse without tears in his eyes. While all of our hearts and all of our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cries with thankful voice, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear your voice? And enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. Thank God that he drew us to himself. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we're grateful. Uh, we're grateful that you have taken us that were sinners and you've washed us clean by the blood of Christ. You have taken us who are blind and you made us see the glory of Christ. You made us who are rebels and enemies and you brought us not only into your nation and your citizens and your kingdom, you brought us in as children uh, of the living God. And we're so grateful. And we would pray that we would see churches full, that with one heart and voice and soul that they may see your redeeming grace. So bless the ministries of our church, the missionaries, those who proclaim the gospel in the Sunday schools and from the pulpits, and may the gospel be heard clearly, and may people come and be satisfied with Christ and in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, choir. What beautiful music we've had this morning thus far. We lift it all up to the Lord as our sacrifice of praise. Hope that he might be pleased with it. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 as we continue to make our way through this uh, very interesting book. Uh, we know a lot about the book, but it's also amazing what we don't know about the book. We don't know who wrote it. And so uh, nobody does much good spending time speculating on who the author is. Also, we don't know where it was written specifically to, but we do know it was written to a group of Jewish Christians, Jewish people who had embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And now that things have gotten a little bit harder and persecution is on the horizon, they're tempted to leave the Christian faith, leave Christ, and go back to Judaism. And so the whole book is basically saying, don't go back because Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the priests. He's better than the kings. He's better than all the sacrifices. And you cannot leave the religion without leaving Christ. And we have seen different images. We've seen the nautical image that you can drift away from Christ, like a boat that's not tied down can gradually over time drift out to sea or drift out into the lake. And then there's a probably an agricultural idea of don't harden your hearts, uh, that the Word of God won't penetrate. And then there's one, don't fall away. Well, today he changes images and he uses that of a race. And he talks about entering a race and persevering to the very end. So let's read a brief paragraph, Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful man so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. This is God's word to God's people. Let's pray. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts to understand that we might live in a way that would be good for us and bring glory to you. And we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You know, if I asked you a question, which is the second best-selling book in all of history, would you know what it is? Of course, the Bible would be number one, but the last time I checked, the second best-selling book of all of history would be Pilgrim's Progress. And Pilgrim is the Christian who is warned by evangelists to run from the city of destruction and make his way to the celestial city. And the whole book describes that progress, uh, that progression to, to the celestial city, and it's full of difficulties. You have the, sea of Des the slew of despond and the hill of difficulty and the, the uh, vanity fair, and you have all these people that are talking to you about how to get there and what route to take, and then you have the lions that scare you, and then you have thrown into a cage in prison and locked up, and you have to get out with a key and all of this, and then you get to... Uh, you get to the house beautiful and you can see the celestial city, but you have to cross the valley of the shadow of death and you have to swim across the river. And the whole thing shows how 
Christian, the pilgrim, progresses through difficulties finally till he gets home. And the reason the book is a bestseller is simply because it says something to us. That the Christian life is hard. It's a struggle at times. It's difficult. And at different times we want to, quote, say, is it worth it? And these people are tempted to drop out. And what, what the writer is telling him is, no, this is a race that you have to run. God has set it before you. God in his sovereignty wants you to run this way. And he says, run this race with perseverance. Uh, the word for race is really interesting because it doesn't really say race. It says, run this agony set before you. Agone. It's the Greek word. Run this agony. He's not talking about a 10-yard a sprint that we ran in high school in football or a 30-second drill we ran in basketball, you know, touching the lines. It's not even talking about a mile run that we might have to do to show that we're in shape. The word agony indicates it's a, a long run, a, a taxing run, a demanding run. One that is so hard that you're tempted to fall out and say, I, I'm not going to finish. Kind of like a, a marathon. Never ran a marathon. I hate to even drive a marathon every day. But anyway, a marathon, 26 point something miles. And every, we've got people in here that have run that. My daughter's run two or three, not Naomi, but uh, uh, she does different. Y'all don't laugh at her. I hadn't run it either. I'm in trouble. But anyway, <laughs> but a marathon, from what I understand, when you get to about the 20th mile, you, you want to quit. You hit the wall. Well, I was texting with Jay Uton this year, and I said, what's the furthest race you've run in? And he said, a 50-mile race. And then he texted back and he said, but I did do a 100-mile relay where people divided up a hundred miles and ran it. Uh, Sarah Elizabeth had a friend that wanted to run a hundred miles in 24 hours. It's in North Carolina in the mountains. And so she went there to be an encourager. And what she and some of her friends did, they would run with her for 18 miles. That was the loop as I remember it. And encourage her not to quit. And the girl got hypothermia at the 87th mile mark and dropped out and did it the next year and succeeded. What this race is, it's something that's demanding, something that's long, lifelong, and it takes encouragement from others to persevere and to finish the race. The perseverance of the saints is really one of the greatest doctrines. It means those who are truly saints will persevere to the very end. They'll never fall away. They'll never quit. They'll never lose their salvation. And if they do drop out, they show they never were saints. If they don't persevere, they weren't saints. If they persevere, they are saints. And we use that phrase instead of once saved, always saved, because that once saved, always saved gives you the idea that salvation is a one-time punctiliar decision that you make. And if you make that decision, it's forever good. Well, that's not really accurate. There are a lot of people who have professed faith, have not persevered in the faith. They profess to have have walked the aisle at 12 or signed a card at 15 or, or did something sometime. And since then, there's never been any effort in the Christian life. Those people need to hear the doctrine of repentance, not of assurance. Perseverance of the saints. 
So what does it take to keep going in the Christian life? I just want to list several things. One, we need to listen to the witnesses that surround us. We need to lay aside all the hindrances that entangle us. And we need to look and fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Listen, lay aside, and look. Listen to the witnesses. The word, therefore, starts chapter 12, which means that it connects to what previously went before. And so, so he's saying, therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, the witnesses obviously primarily mean those people who mentioned in chapter 11. Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Isaiah and Gideon and uh, Barak and, and Samson and Jephthah and all those people. People who have run the race and won. The people who now make up the church triumphant. We're the church militant. We're still at war. We're still battling our sin, the flesh, and the devil. But we're looking at the cloud of witnesses that have gone ahead of us. And there are witnesses in two senses. One is they witness, meaning they're, they're there to watch us and cheer us on. You know, when uh, you watch the marathon on TV, if you ever do that, I did it yesterday, uh, the Olympic pre-qualifying marathon. It's full of people on the side cheering folks on. They're there to watch and to encourage and inspire and give words of, uh, to, to stimulate their, their energy to, to, to keep going. They're what we call balcony people. Years ago, uh, Miss Yurko gave me a book called Balcony People by Joyce Landar. You can get it on the internet for $5 now, I think, but uh, I don't remember much about the book, but I remember this. She interpreted this passage as people in heaven leaning over the balcony, as it were, and we're in the arena, and they're watching us, and they're cheering us on, and they want us to keep going on and not give up. You know, it's an image of the people who've gone before us being not just examples we follow, but now they're voices that encourage us to keep on running. And we know the Bible has tons of balcony people. David had Jonathan. Jonathan so loved David that he gave up his right to the throne and warned David at the risk of his own life. You have uh, Paul had Barnabas and Paul had Timothy. And Luther had a guy by the name of Myconus, uh, Frederick Myconus, I think is how you pronounce that. But you've probably never heard of Frederick Myconus. He was Luther's uh, scholar. He was Luther's stabilizing intellectual influence. And he was so valuable to Luther that Luther commanded him not to die. Can you imagine you're in the hospital and you get a letter from your pastor? I command you in the name of the Lord, do not die. Okay, I'm trying my best, Tim, you know. So uh, my, my kindness became sick, expected to die in a short time. In his bed, he wrote a loving farewell note to Luther with his trembling hand. Luther received the letter and sent back this reply. I command thee in the name of God to live because I still have need of thee in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that you are dead, but will permit thee, thee to survive me, for I am praying this is my will, and my will may be done, because I seek to glorify the name of God. 
Myconus had already lost the ability to speak when he got Luther's letter, but he recovered completely and lived six more years to survive Luther till Luther went to be with the Lord. Got a question for you. Who's your balcony person? Who encourages you to run, to be faithful, to not drop out, to not be deceived by wealth, not to be tricked by pleasures? Who is the person that urges you to be faithful? We went to the men's rally the other night, and Sandy Wilson did a great job, and he said they did this survey of 250-something pastors who had all committed immorality, and there were several common uh, factors in that. Is one is they never thought they would commit immorality and be kicked out of the ministry. And number two is they never, uh, they always fell in immorality with somebody they were counseling. And number three, that they uh, had given up their devotionals, that they didn't read the Bible every day. Uh, but the number one reason why they, every one of them had is they did not have anybody to hold them accountable. They didn't have a friend to say, what are you doing? Why are you meeting with her? How many times a week? Or other things? What do you do? You, you rarely come to church. What are you buying that for? You know, have you... You know, you told me last time we met you were struggling financially. Is that a good decision? Do you have anybody that will encourage you to walk, run faithfully this race called life. And witness means in a legal sense. These witnesses around us, uh, Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Isaiah and all of those, they're testifying to the greatness of God's faithfulness, that God is worth it. You know, if you're waiting on God to fulfill the promise, Abraham says God is worth waiting on. He's faithful. If you feel like God has called you to do something foolish that the whole world mocks at, Noah says, hey, God is faithful. If you are fearful of what God has called you to do, Joshua says, God is faithful. You know, these witnesses are standing up and they're testifying. They're, they're, they're hollering, calling out to us. Keep going. God is faithful. And they don't do it. You know, you're not going to hear this afternoon. Okay, God, let me hear Moses. Let me hear... If you want to hear Moses, as the old saying goes, read the story of Moses. Read it out loud if you want to hear Moses. Because they speak to us through the Scripture. Most of you know the name Martin Lloyd-Jones. When people left Martin Lloyd-Jones, they said he basically always said the same thing. Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. The second thing, not only listen to the witnesses, but lay aside any hindrances and the sin that so easily entangles you. Throw it off. Throw off everything and anything that hinders the Christian life. He mentions two terms. He mentions hindrances, and he, remembers, he mentions sin. Hindrances are things that are good, but might not be good for you. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter... Eight, I believe it is, or six, I should have looked it up. It says, all things are lawful, but all things are not beneficial. There are plenty of things that you can do that are good, not sinful, but they're not beneficial to you. They're, they're not good for you. 
And so that's the word hindrance. So these Greek runners that were in this agony, this marathon, they would basically throw off everything. They would run without any clothes on. And if you've ever watched a track meet, that's one of the first things. You know, they go down there and they've run and they've warmed up and everything. Next thing you know, they uh, have those those pants that they have on and they rip them off. You know, they have, I don't think they're cool. They have snaps on the side, you know, they rip them off and then throw them to the side and then they run some more and they take off the sweater and stuff or the, the top and they're running these little bitty thin skin tight things that don't allow the wind to hinder them. They, anything in the world that can slow them down, they're throwing it aside. And the idea is, the question is not is, when you go to do something, it's not is it sinful. You know, let's hope we all choose not to do that. But the question that, that the passage is asking us, is this helpful? Does this help you run? It's nothing wrong with your hobby, but does it keep you from the Lord's day? It's nothing wrong with... You're reading, but if John White is right, some people have fiction addiction. They can read 50 or 60 novels in a year, but they can't find a time to read the Bible 10 minutes a day. Are there things that are really good that we need to give up so that we can run faithfully? And I'm not being legalistic. I'm just asking us to ask those questions. You know, uh, I'm not a golfer. This is not in my notes, so this is where it gets me in trouble, kind of like what I they had Naomi not in my notes either. But anyway, but one year I decided I was going to be a golfer. And so I bought me some clubs, and I got me a bunch of shag balls, and one day I came home, and I told Sarah, I don't have to do this because I can't be a Christian and play golf at the same time. This is the most frustrating game, and I'm thinking of words that I hadn't used in years that come up, and I'm through with it. And I hadn't played golf since. I had to lay it aside, not because it was so time-consuming, it was just so frustrating to me. They say that at the Grand Canyon, there's an interesting thing that you notice. You start at the top, and although the guide says, okay, we're going down, but you've got to come back up, and people forget you got to come back up, and so they carry a whole bunch of junk down with them. And he said they get down there and they start up, and along the trail, you can see that they've left their backpacks and their tents and their sleeping bags and, and their binoculars. They're, they're getting as light as they can coming up. Those are good things. And probably the guides get them, sell them, and make a lot of money, so keep doing it. But anyway, that's the idea. They're good things that might be in the way. And I can't tell you what those are. And then he says, sin that so easily entangles you, that trips you up, that, you know, that every time you turn around, you're doing it again, you know, that's, that's the idea. And once again, there are several different ideas that commentaries and scholars think are being referred to as, one might be causing, setting aside the sin that so easily entangles the sin meaning the root sin, the sin behind the sin. The sin that causes you to sin. You know, unbelief, pride, selfishness. 
put aside those things that are the root of a taken axe and, and kill that thing. Deal with it, the death blow. Coveting. Be done with it. But the other idea is be done with your besetting sin. The sin that easily entangles you. That we all have that sin that we just haven't been able to get rid of. Do you, do you know it? I, how many times in my life, and it would be in the thousands, have I prayed that God would forgive me for being so anxious? It's my besetting sin. I can imagine the worst things from the smallest little details of something. Some of you might have, uh, my besetting sin is, is a temper. Every time you turn around, I'm flying off the handle. And I'm having to apologize constantly for being rude or uh, using profanity. And some of you might have, it's lust and profanity and, and you're trying to, to kill that thing. But every time you turn, get to the computer, that thing is blinking, it's there, I can look at it. That besetting sin is a sin that trips you up all the time, that always has you before the throne of grace and repentance, that the one you're defending is not really that bad for you, the one that you keep saying, you're making excuses for, I can do it, you know, I can handle it. And he's saying, no, you cannot. He says, lay it aside, be done with it. The old King James would say, mortify it, from which we get mortician, kill it and Bury it. And then tomorrow, kill and bury it again. In that same passage, Colossians 3, he not only says, put it to death, he also says, take it off like clothing, cast it aside, and put on righteousness. C.S. Lewis has a story that I think really helps us. It's in The Great Divorce. We talked about The Great Divorce in Sunday School for just a little bit this morning. Uh, but the great divorce has this busload of people that appear to be ghosts because the more that sin affects you, the more ghostly and less like a human you look. And this busload of people that looked like ghosts were on their way to hell. But while they were going to hell, the bus stopped at heaven. Most of the people got off but went right back on the bus for safety but this one ghostly man got off and he had a red lizard on his shoulder. And when he got off, he had an angel approach him and said, you want me to take that lizard off your shoulder? And he said, what? And he said, let me take it off your shoulder and kill it. Kill it? Why do you want to kill it? Well, isn't it bothering you and causing you trouble and whispering stuff in your ear and causing you distress? He said, yeah, but, you know, killing is pretty drastic. I'm paraphrasing now. And he said, no, no, now look at it. Look at, the little, look at the little lizard. He's gone to sleep. He's just such a nice lizard. He's not going to bother anything. anything. Lizard wakes up and says, don't do what this guy says. He's going to kill me. And the lizard bites him on the shoulder or something. And finally, the ghostly man says, okay, take it off and kill it. And the angel reaches over to grab the lizard, and the grizzard is held on, and he twisted him off because he bit him, and he throws him on the ground, and he stomps on him and kills him. But the moment he takes him off, the ghostly man starts becoming more human again, more solid. Sinclair Ferguson even used the word solider. I don't even know if that's a word. He becomes solider. 
And he said, and he looks at the lizard, and the lizard, when he's stomped dead, he turns into a stallion with a golden tail. And the man now jumps on the stallion and rides off towards his Savior. What is C.S. Lewis saying? The sin that you're so scared of is taking away your life. It's making you ghastly, ghostly, and you're scared of it, and it will give you joy and fulfillment to rid yourself of it and freedom to run towards God. Great image. Cast off your sin and understand your freedom. The last thing is, is look to your Savior. Listen to the witnesses, throw off what hinders, and look towards the Savior. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and protector, uh, perfecter of the faith. And then he says, consider him. He's calling you to think, to use your mind again. To think, to ponder, to compare, to compare your struggles to Jesus' struggle, your race to his race. You've not, shed, you've not struggled with sin to the point of shedding blood. That's the next verse in here. Look at Jesus and remember He's your pioneer. He's the one who has blazed the trail for you in heaven. He's the one that has put His anchor there and we're tethered to it. And we're going to go home because our anchor is in heaven, our trailblazer. And we encountered this in Hebrews chapter 2. The word is archegos. It's like a person who not only goes ahead but makes everybody else's passageway possible and I thought of you know I think I used this when we did Hebrews 2 but it's only all I got it's kind of like a holy Rambo you ever watch Rambo you know Rambo goes into the jungle and there's these people in the cages and he lets them out and he says follow me and he's got a gun with a thousand rounds of bullets in it and he's got a million in his back pocket he never runs out and he you know and Y'all come on with me. And everybody's free because of Rambo. This is a holy Rambo. Jesus is saying, follow me. Sinclair Ferguson, more sanctified than I am, says it's more like a uh, platoon is trying to cross a ravine and somebody has to jump across and carry a rope and tie it to a tree where we can tie it to the other tree where everybody else can go across. And somebody does. And that's the archegos. Jesus has made it possible has guaranteed for his people that we will make it home to glory. And he's a perfecter of our faith. Not just the starter, but the finisher. He makes sure that we get to the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And it's all because of him we're in the race, we run the race, we finish the race, and we end up in glory. Fix your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the example. He's the encouragement. And ponder on the idea, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So here's the cross. How did he endure it? For the joy set before him. What is that joy? Of course, that joy is, is glory itself. At my Father's right hand is joy forevermore. But in John chapter 17, Jesus prays that our joy might be full, but he also prays that we might be where he is. That what brings Christ joy, I think, is that he will have his church, the bride, with him in glory. 
And that gives him great joy. You think fixating on the end helps? It helps a lot. Philip Petit, uh, Frenchman, 1974. The World Trade Center was still being built. It was under construction. The Twin Towers, which you know in 9-11 were uh, destroyed. But the Twin Towers were being built. And so what uh, Philip does, he goes up on the, with his friends and they do a, a rope that's uh, 30, uh, 300 feet long and they tie it from building to building. That cable, I mean, is an inch thick. He takes a 30-foot pole that weighs 50 pounds and he walks from one tower to the next tower 1,300 plus feet above the ground. And not only does he walk it, he sits down on the wire and he stands up and he does all this stuff. And of course, for his daring feat, he was arrested. So don't ever walk between big buildings. But somebody said, how do you do it? How do you do that? And he says, I never take my eyes off the end of the cable. I never take my eyes off the end. That's how you run the race. You don't take your eyes off Christ. Because where Christ is, is joy forevermore. And this morning, He gives us symbols of His grace that encourage us, that He'll bring us to glory. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the day, grateful for the encouragement. We're grateful that uh, you love us in Christ. We thank you that we love because you first loved us. Help us to endure to the very end. Help us to persevere, and we'll do that only by your grace. Open our eyes to the temptations. Strengthen our hands against those who fight against us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Use these little bitty snacks that we take today, little bitty bites of bread and little bitty sips of juice to remind us that this is your body and your blood, that you endured the cross for us, that we might live forevermore. And we pray you'd bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. When I survey the wondrous cross, we've always sung that at communion and we continue that tradition. 252.
Please be seated. It is my great uh, privilege to invite you to the table and my great responsibility to also defense the table. This is the Lord's table. It's not Covenant Presbyterian Church's table. It's not the Presbyterian Church's table. It's the Lord's table. And all that are in Christ by faith and are in good standing in evangelical church are free to take it and we invite you and urge you to come. It's for sinners to remind them that Christ had lived and died and rose again for you. But also we fence the table in the sense that the Bible says you can do this in an unworthy manner. And so we ask for young children not to take it until they've gone through a communicants class so that they understand what these elements are about and what repentance is about. And I'd also issue one more warning that if you are in some known sin and you're holding your fists up to God and saying, no, I'm not going to repent, I'm not going to let go, then I would say spend this time in repentance and reflection and ask God to forgive you and take it next time. But it's for us to encourage us and strengthen us. Read the, let me read the words of institution. I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he comes again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the means of grace by which you strengthen us in the Christian life and make us more like the Lord Jesus. We know that this is bread and juice. It doesn't actually become the body and blood of Christ, but we're not just remembering. We're actually feasting at your table. You feed us by your grace and mercy. Would you do that today? Make these really beneficial for us that we might live to the glory of Christ in whose name we pray amen this is the body of Christ which is broken for you take it and eat it and we'll pass it out if you'll hold it we'll all eat it together at the end
This is the body of Christ broken for you. Take it, eat it in remembrance of him. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Please hold the elements and we'll partake together.
blood of Christ that he spilled for you. Drink. Let's pray. close with singing the last two verses of 252 when I survey verses 3 and 4 May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good thing for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Grace be with you all. Amen.